Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast with fascinating entrepreneurs, investors, content creators, authors, and experts in a variety of subjects. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Darren Smith. Darren is a creative entrepreneur and the founder of Craftsman Creative, where he teaches creative professionals how to jump from five figures to six figures in income. Darren himself is a TV producer and film producer with a background in producing sounds for bands like Imagine Dragons and Neon Trees. Uh, but now he's entered kind of the creator economy, this online income world where he's trying to, and when I say trying, he's doing it successfully, sell online courses, have a premium community, grow a big email list. So he's kind of playing both games at the same time. Uh, this conversation covers why, despite his successful career making films, making TV shows, he's also caring about this kind of online income universe. Uh, of the content creator or the creative entrepreneur, he likes to call them content entrepreneurs. We discuss his Mormon faith and how that impacts his business career. I thought that was really interesting. We had an Orthodox Jewish woman talking about money from an Orthodox Jewish perspective a few episodes ago. So it's cool to get a variety of perspectives on the Lewis and Kyle show. We discuss how he's monetizing, right? So how he's selling courses, what courses he's selling, his online community. And we also discuss how he became a movie producer in the first place as well, because that's also very interesting and not something, not someone that you meet every single day, at least not in my circles. As always, we discuss a whole lot more, and I'm excited for you to listen to this conversation because I had a ton of fun chatting with Darren. I'm going to do a super quick ad read from our sponsor, because they're really cool, and then we'll get this party started. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by our friends at VASA, the virtual assistant staffing agency. We hired our first virtual assistants from VASA to assist with our operations running the show back in June. But VASA is not just for podcast editors. If you need some extra hands to free up your time, let VASA help you with hiring for administrative, technical, and creative work. That's graphic design, cold callers, social media managers, sales reps, video editors, admin assistants, and more. Free up your time to focus on your highest impact work and learn more about VASA at vastaffing.agency or by clicking the link in the show notes to schedule a free strategy session with their team. Alrighty, back to the show. Darren, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. I'm excited for this conversation today. Guys, thank you so, so much. I think we uh, this has been a month or two in the works, so it's exciting. The day is finally here. <laughs> Absolutely. I uh, binged through pretty quickly the five episodes of your mini-series. So I have a lot of questions for you about every kind of step of the content creator roadmap or the content entrepreneur roadmap, and you can make that distinction important for us later. But I want to have people some context into just your primary career uh, before we dive into kind of what is now more of your content creator in the internet sense, right? Because you've always been a content creator, depending on how content's defined. But yeah, one definitely. story you tell in that mini-series is kind of how you had a... I don't even know what the right way to describe this as a non-traditional come up in the movie career. Like you basically skipped a lot of the most awful parts that most people like just, I'm trying to think of a word that's just not a, a profanity uh, for, for like just the, the sucky jobs. We'll go with that. The right of passage. Right? The right, the rights of passage of like being on set for like 18 hours a day and like being on call and just all these things that people associate with just misery. Uh, but it's, it's necessary. Like Kyle, right of passage, pay your dues, right? That's another one. And obviously, I'm sure you've worked hard in some other way, but it sounds like you just took a circuitous path that was less painful. Yeah, I did. And I, I was lucky, I think, in some part, and I was also strategic in some way. So it worked for me because my job is as a film producer. And so it's much more like an exchange of value. Like, can you do this thing for me in exchange for this many dollars, as opposed to if you're a crew member, if you're a grip or a gaffer or a camera person or a makeup person or a wardrobe person, 
you do kind of have to like come up through the ranks and earn your stripes, so to speak. And so I spent a little bit of time. I, I worked on like two or three features around 2012, 2013, and looked around and saw all these guys <laughs> that I was working with. And, you know, I'd gone through a divorce. Half of them had gone through a divorce. Like this industry is not very family friendly. And then you've got the 12 hour day work days, plus sometimes an hour on each end traveling home. So I was like, man, I just don't want to be doing 14 hour days. That's not the kind of life work balance that I want. I had a family, I had kids like this isn't going to work. So after like two projects, I was like, okay, I'm not going to come up through crew. I do want to be a film producer, but I'm going to divert off the, the typical path of coming up through production and then I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to have a production company. I'm going to do the job of a producer. And after a number of years, I should have enough projects as a producer under my belt that I can go back to the film industry and say, hey, guys, I'm a producer. Look at all these things I've produced. And that value transaction should balance out to where I got hired. And, you know, I like I said, I think it's part strategy, strategy. And it's part luck that it worked out the way it did because I was very strategic as to what kind of connections I was making. I was finding and connecting with directors and executive producers, the people who hire producers, knowing that at some point I was going to come to them and say, hey, I want to be a film producer. If you have those opportunities, send them my way. And it worked out. So what were you producing? So is this the, the audio production company and the sound or is this a different piece of the journey? Yeah, so the the journey went from starting as a sound post-production sound company called Soundsmith Studios, play on my name, and then that expanded into a full video production company with a business partner. So he was a director, editor, visual effects, and I did sound and music and producing. And between the two of us, we could do almost anything. So we did commercials, we did music videos, we did industrials, which are like corporate video type things. We did documentaries. And we even did like short films that we were trying to use to get our feature scripts that we were writing off the ground. So that was really the thing that catapulted me was that video production company. Because so I went from that to being a producer on a TV show here locally. There's a, a network called BYU TV and there's a show called Relative Race. So I left the business, the video production company in 2017 and jumped like two months later, I was working full time on that show as a contractor. So it was an, it was nice how it all played out. But yeah, I went and did four seasons of a TV show. And in between, I was producing other documentary projects. I produced a TV pilot. And that experience over about two years of doing the TV show was enough to where people were like, oh, this guy's a producer. He knows what he's doing. I want to work with him. I think a lot of people are going to listen to this story and need to have the dots connected for them as to why is someone who's having a film career that sounds to be going well, right? care about this, you know, having an email list and putting out tweets and getting, getting likes. It's like, you're already making movies. Like, was that not the goal? Like what's motivating and wanting something in addition, or I don't know, again, it's somewhat hedging, but also, yeah, I'll let you explain it. Cause I think people are going to need the dots connected for them. Yeah. I'm really glad you are wanting to did. connect those dots. <laughs> it, it is, it is a confusing one. People look at me and go, I don't understand why you do this. <laughs> so there were two moments, one in December of 2019 and one right at the beginning of the pandemic, which really informed everything I'm doing right now. 
so the thing at the end of 2019 was just a shift in mindset from like why I was doing the work I was doing, why I was pursuing these big goals to like be a producer and make money as a creative individual and all these things. And it shifted from fame and fortune, for lack of better terms, to like contribution and growth. And that's a major shift. If you're doing things to contribute and to grow and to help other people and to make an impact, it's a very different approach and outcome than pursuing it for your own personal reasons of fame and fortune. So that was a big shift that I think that mindset was holding me back for a number of years because it was all about me. It was about why aren't people picking me? Why am I not getting the gigs? Why am I not making more money, et cetera, et cetera. And as soon as I shifted that mindset, everything started to open up and uh, I was in much more alignment with like the kind of the, the reason for the doing the work that I was doing. But then in 2020, the pandemic happened. I got furloughed like a lot of people did from the TV show I was working on. And I found myself with some free time. And so I was like, all right, well, if I'm all about contribution and growth, like what's the best thing I can do right now? And I thought about making some online courses because everything was shut down. We weren't going to events. We weren't doing uh, lunches with friends, anything like that. And one of the things I loved most was just going to lunch with like my artist and musician friends and filmmaker friends that I've have been my friends for a decade. And I couldn't do that. So I made a course and then I made another one and ultimately like put them out for free for a few months because everybody was struggling at the beginning of the pandemic. All the events and gigs shut down. People had no income. And I was sitting here going, well, I'm, I'm okay. So I should probably help other people. So that's where the whole craftsman creative business came about. And so I've got to connect one more dot, which is the first movie I did was in spring of 2021. So a year after I started this online course slash content entrepreneur business, Craftsman Creative. And I'm on my first movie as a producer and I'm, I'm doing too many jobs because it's a low budget thing. So I'm like, oh, I'll produce and line produce and UPM and be the production accountant. Never do that, by the way. It's way too many jobs. But I was the one responsible for the budget, looking at it and going, well, I can't pay myself more and we don't have budget to hire these other three people. So I'll just do it. And so my days were like 15, 16 hour days. I was getting up at 630 and going to bed at 1130. I was on the entire time. And then I was on set and I was going back and forth to set to the production office, just working myself to the bone. This was like 80 hour weeks for eight weeks. And I was away from my family. And I got to the end of that project and was like, man, that was amazing. I made a movie. And at the same time, I was like, I did not enjoy that process of working 80 hour weeks and being away from my family. And I don't want to do this five times a year or every day of the year because that'll burn me out. It'll ruin my relationships. It'll destroy my family life. So that's not ideal. So I looked at it and I said, okay, how am I going to do this thing I love, which is producing movies? in a way where I have life work balance and enough income from something else that can supplement the fact I'm only doing two movies a year instead of five. And that's how where I'm at right now came to be because I this year I did two movies, did one in February and one overseas uh, during the summer. And in between, I've been doing more courses and creating more content, putting out in a newsletter and a podcast and an email list and all this stuff. And it's starting to work. So the goal is to get the creative entrepreneur stuff to like 10 grand a month so that no matter what, the, the movies are just a bonus. The income from the movies are not what I'm relying on. So I can say yes to the right projects at the right budget, et cetera, et cetera. It makes a lot of sense to me. I think one thing that you said, um, 
once you got there and finally we're producing this big movie and it's a big deal to you, it's like, okay, I don't like this. And I think that a lot of people kind of go through their life aiming for, you know, that next care, that next promotion, because then it's going to be like amazing. And once they get there, they're like, wait a second, this is not, I don't, <laughs> I didn't like it before. And I don't like it now. And I think, um, a lot of people kind of suppress that in themselves. And so kudos to you for, you know, realizing that and then acting on it and building craftsman creative. Um, so, I mean, you can respond to that, but also let's just go into craftsman creative as a business and kind of the, um, the content itself and, and what you're selling. Yeah. I do want to say one thing about that, which is a lot of times we find ourselves in a situation where it's like, this is the way it's done or this is how it's always been, or this is the only option. And what I would, uh, there's a great question you can ask when you find yourself in those situations, which is, is that really true? And often the answer is no. And instead of just saying, well, I can either do it this way or I cannot do it at all. Well, you've got this false dichotomy going on, this binary result. And it's like, no, what's a third option? So multiple times throughout my story that I've just shared, I've looked at the two options. I didn't like them. So I created a third. And I think that's just a mindset thing that you can take on. If you find yourself like, man, I definitely, I haven't figured out how to do this thing because I have a full-time job and I can't leave the full-time job because of X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. Okay. But is that really true? Probably not. And you could probably figure out a way once you have a different frame of mind to go, well, how, what would perfect look like? Well, perfect for me is doing two movies a year and having 10 grand a month from this creative stuff. And that sounds pretty awesome. So I'm going to work towards that. So I just definitely wanted to touch on that. If you'll feed me your question again about Craftsman Creative, because I forgot it. Um, but I, I feel like that's important for people to hear. Yeah, you know, I was listening to uh, the new Elon Musk interview and I've fanboyed Elon Musk Which on this one's podcast that? a lot. It just came out. It's like barren funds. Was it the AI one the, between the him background. and Steve Jobs? <laughs> no, that <laughs> but that sounds cool. Uh, yeah. But he was talking about how on the on the Tesla production line, um, there were certain like pieces of it that no one stopped to question whether or not they were necessary or put in your terms, whether or not it was like true, like it was needed. And he would find something and he'd call the team that uh, he would, he would ask somebody on the production team to be like, Oh, that's for sound and friction or whatever. So he'd call those people and he'd be like, no, that's for the production team. And it's just like the, the act of stopping and asking the question, I think is a, um, it's a habit. It's a, a way of life sort of. And um, yeah, I think I, I really resonate with that. Um, yeah. That's so good. My question about, uh, Craftsman Creative is just to give us an overview of kind of the content that you chose to to uh, put into the world, what you're selling now, kind of the the, the story arc, the the uh, the hero's journey of it, you know? Yeah, um, I'll give you way too much info because normally when people come into the world of Craftsman Creative, it's very focused and um, thoughtful as far as like, oh, you're gonna come to a homepage or a landing page, and then you're going to get on an email list, and then you're going to go welcome series, and then et cetera, et cetera, right? So telling people like, here's all the stuff I have, 
is generally not good practice because it's overwhelming and there's no direction. They've found themselves like they just opened this door to a brand new world that they hoped existed and they just discovered it. And I'm going, have fun. It's like, it's not a good way to do it. <laughs> so I like to kind of be more of a guide and say, hey, over here. But for the audience, I think it's cool sometimes to hear the behind the scenes of how it's all structured. So I made this decision to kind of enter the, the so-called creator economy last August. And I chose, I use the term vehicle. I chose a vehicle to enter it with, because if you think about um, a journey, you know, you've got, maybe you're starting in California and you want to get to Florida, you know, you could fly, you could take a train, you could take a boat, you could take a car. The vehicle you choose determines like what the journey is going to be like. So, and it also, it, you can get even more granular and say, well, if I'm going to do a road trip, Am I going to drive a Lamborghini or a Ford F-150? Like what's better for towing a trailer and bringing a family of five along the journey, right? So I chose the vehicle of a book. Um, and that was influenced by a number of things that were kind of serendipitous over last summer. I read Joe Polizzi's book, Content Inc., and he re highly recommends writing a book. And I came across Rob Fitzpatrick's book, which is called Write Useful Books. And it was just a very straightforward way to like write a nonfiction book that's intended to be useful and recommendable. And so I joined both of their communities. I read both their books. I became friends with both of them and was just like, all right, I can do this. These guys are doing it. Like Rob makes 20 grand a month doing like selling his four books and having a community. Joe has sold a business for multiple millions of dollars doing creative work. I'm like, this is possible. So, oh, and, and Derek Sivers, who's another author that I love and a guy that I've had a couple conversations with has this great line in his book, um, your music and people, which is kind of about marketing. And the line is, if you're, if you're struggling with how to figure out how to get where you want to go, call the destination and ask for directions. It's such a huge principle. That's and so line. I implemented that That's with really these two individuals. I became friends with Rob and with Joe and was like, I need you guys to teach me this stuff. And so they did. And so I wrote a book between August and November of last year because it was the perfect vehicle. I needed to grow my business. I needed to get a more awareness, more people on my email list. I needed more people to launch a book to because nobody saw me as an author or a writer. And in the process of writing that book, it really just everything came together. I discovered people who were also in that same industry that were trying to help other creators that were creative entrepreneurs themselves, people like Josh Spector and Arvid Call and, you know, all these guys, Nicholas Cole and Dickie Bush, the Ship 30 guys, like all of these individuals, like I started connecting with people because I was doing the work day in and day out. So the book was number one because I wanted like a, a very simple, low priced thing that people could buy and become a customer. But since then, <laughs> I've, I now have a book. I have a course that goes along with the book. I have a community that supports people who are on that journey that the book is kind of walking people through. I do coaching and business consulting for creative businesses. And I think that's it right now. <laughs> oh, I'm coming up with like a challenge and an event that starts the beginning of 2023. So like there's five or six revenue streams and products and offers that I have with this business now a year in and I kind of did it poorly in the sense of I should have gotten the book to like a couple grand a month or maybe the book in the course to a few thousand a month in revenue and then added something else but I'm a product builder like it's really easy for me to create new stuff 
So I made too many things and now I'm stopping after the event <laughs> and really focusing on, okay, I need to scale these things and get them to like where they're generating meaningful amounts of revenue or because I can keep creating products all day long, but if no one knows they exist or no one's buying them, it's kind of pointless. So take a breath there, but that's kind of what Craftsman Creative is. Yeah, I think a lot of people, and this is a lot of what interested me in talking with you is a lot of people just, you have a different approach than a lot of people who have tried this exact same thing. So a lot of content creators have, and I'm doing my best to kind of like explain what I'm thinking here, but a lot of content creators, right? They're good at creating content, so that's what they do. And right, I call them content creators, which is which makes sense, but, and they're not really good at pr promotion. And a lot of content creators, myself and Kyle, uh, a strength that I think you have that we don't have is the kind of bias towards productizing really and often and making offers and putting buy buttons on the internet, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if you follow Jacob Greenfield, but I'm giving him credit for this. It's just like, maybe it was in his newsletter, just like increase the number of buy buttons you have on the internet and you'll sell more stuff. Like that's yeah. kind of a good motto. It's like, you know, just more, more, it's more impressions on your offer and eventually just in front of the right people. But it's interesting that, you know, you have, everyone has like their form of procrastination. It's like productive procrastination. I think that's just very popular for a lot of kind of self-managed people as like, they, they know they should be doing something useful. So they're not just going to like watch YouTube, but they're going to do something that's the work, but not like the right work, but it still feels like, you know, you can't feel too bad about yourself. Cause you're like, I still, I still have an outlet, right? I still have an extra blog post. I still have an extra podcast. I still have an extra ebook. So it's interesting that you're, it's like, a, it's like a slight, it's like ascending the, the ladder of like forms of productive procrastination. But at the end of the day, it's still like content promotion, product promotion, uh, is still like the realistically, everyone wants us to do 80% of the time on building the thing and 20% on promoting it. But I think the people who do it best have it flipped. Exactly. Yeah. Joe, uh, Polizzi in the podcast, you mentioned earlier, the 10 K creator show has said exactly that your job as a creator is 20% content and 80% marketing, business, promotion, achieving your big goals. So yeah, if if I wanted to win the award for most number of products created, I could go and most do that and probably create a hundred yeah. things next year. But that would not reach the goals that I have, which is 10,000 a month in revenue and 10,000 email subscribers. So I've had to really pivot and stop myself from doing too many projects and adding another one, another one, another one and really focusing on making the existing product stack work and make sense and get the outcomes that I want for people. Because again, going back to the mindset thing, I'm about contribution and growth. So if people aren't coming in to my email list and buying the products that I've created to help them grow their businesses, I'm not having the impact that I want to have. So it, it's been a, a nice um, rude awakening <laughs> that, oh, I'm building too much. I need to shift focus a little bit. Speaking of promotion uh, and out of left field questions, you had a, a two year Wars. period where you were doing minute warm up. You're doing a hundred percent promotion uh, for something that's hard to sell. So how do you think that that mission impacted your uh, ability to like work hard? and to and to sell when nobody's buying i think having a long-term mindset helps a ton and i keep bringing up this term mindset because for me it's like the most important thing in creative work is your mindset um whether you're a film producer or a writer or a, an author or a youtube creator or a podcaster or anything like that right i think that just is number one so i bring it up a lot 
Um, the thing that has um, kept me going is because there's little spikes, little sparks of like, there's light at the end of this tunnel if you keep going. Uh, don't give up before it's too early. I think um, Jack Butcher, who runs Visualize Value, has this great uh, visual, which is like this this curve, and it goes exponential after a certain point, but people are always giving up right before it starts to work. And they say, this is pointless, right? I'm giving up. It's been two years. I've given everything I have to this, and uh, I'm giving up now. It's like if they had just gone another couple of months or one more project or whatever. I also think in terms of projects. So as a creative individual, like I was looking at this year going, okay, I know I'm doing this one movie in February at the beginning of the year. I didn't know I was going to do the movie over the summer, but I knew I wanted to do two movies this year. So I'm like, okay, that's four to five months of my year gone. So what are I going to do in the other five or six months of the year? project wise. So I knew I wanted to launch the community and the book. I knew that I wanted to uh, create a podcast. So like, I just think in terms of, of projects, and then that gives me something to focus on. And I think I've got, done a better job of getting more strategic with these projects where I'm bringing in creative partners who have bigger audiences than I do, or I'm building in the marketing into the thing itself, just like uh, good product makers do when you're talking about like SaaS products and stuff. So I don't know, for me, it hasn't been hard, probably because I have this full-time income as a film producer. So this is just, there's no pressure on the craftsman creative thing because it was meant to be a side hustle initially. And then I saw a, a spark of like, oh, this could be a business. What if I actually tried? <laughs> so now I'm trying and I'm, you know, a year in. So I'm, for myself, I've, I've got enough signal so far that this could work that it is working, that it's going to work, that, you know, it wouldn't be hard to give it another year, but I think it's a mid six figure business by the end of next year. So I think you got to give yourself enough time and have like a long-term mindset and really think in terms of like, all right, I'm going to give this two years, not two months or two weeks, but two years to, to try to make something work. If it comes sooner than that, then great. I was talking about your mission as a oh. member of the LDS church like, oh. <laughs> and how you're selling something that's really hard to sell, which is religion. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> sorry if that got mixed up and we can move <laughs> no, on. No, you're good. So. I probably missed that part. I apologize. Okay. Um, the mission thing was amazing. And I attribute a lot of the qualities that I have talking about mindset, faith, uh, the idea of repentance, right, which is a spiritual concept of like turning away from what's not working or what's not good and turning towards something that is good, that directly applies to business. Like the secret to growing a business, the secret to success is do more of what works and less of what doesn't. That's it. If you do that consistently for a long enough period of time, you're basically guaranteed success. So the mission it's an interesting thing, right? Because some people approach it with, I'm going to go out and I'm going to convert a lot of people. And I have, I'm going to, you know, baptize a hundred people or 50 people or whatever. And they think about it as like a very outcome driven thing. And really a mission is twofold. Like it's, it's to convert the heart of the missionary into someone who can be a disciple of Christ for their lifetime. That's a very important aspect that I think sometimes gets lost, but you're there to serve, which is, 
you're doing a thing. You can't control other people. You can't control the outcome. So I have friends who went to Russia and baptized one person or zero people, but they're still incredibly faithful. And they look back at their mission as the, one of the best two years of their lives. I went to Washington, D.C. And, you know, I think what I gained from that besides uh, faith building and testimony building and it, just a complete uh, faith and knowledge of God and the Holy Ghost and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is that I got really good at like putting in effort and disconnecting that from the outcome. Because there were days we would knock on a hundred doors and talk to four people. And three of those people would slam the door or spit in our face or call us son of the devil. And one person would be interested in talking to us for a few minutes until they're like, oh, wait, you're Mormons. Uh, bye. <laughs> right. So, you know, you get really good at just kind of going through and just saying it's not about the outcome. It's about the effort. And it's that's where faith comes in. And so that directly applies to creative work because. You might do it for two years and not get any outcome. But if you keep going and you have that faith, it's about your output and you're just going to get better and better and better at what you do. And at some point it'll work. Does that I better answer the, your both, question, Kyle? Both of those answers together, I think will be a really, it'll be funny for the audience to listen to. Um, you answer it like without knowing. And then I don't know, because <laughs> you kind of said the same thing twice. Just uh, yeah. But no, that was really good. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm just you're the first person in, you know, dozens of podcast interviews that has brought up my mission. And I really, really appreciate it because I feel that the next iteration of the the next book that I write or the the next couple years worth of content is really kind of tying that into creative work. I look at um, Ryan Holiday, who's really focused on stoicism over the last like five years or five books that he's written. And he's had massive success talking about like stoic principles. I'm like, okay, well, what if we talked about spiritual principles in the same context of how does it affect your life and your business and your finances and your career? And so it's something that I'm starting to like an itch I'm starting to scratch. So I'm really glad that it was interesting enough for you to even uh, ask about yeah, it. Yeah, you know, Sean Siri. Nice and Sam Parr, they um, talk a lot about, and, and their producer, Ben Wilson, who I invited yeah. on this podcast, maybe he'll come on. Uh, he's a Mormon and and they talk about how they respect Mormons because of the, just, I mean, and, and I do too, like two years of just utter running through mud. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. That sounds very difficult and all of them do that and you, you did it. And I think that it, it translates directly to producing and, and working hard. So that was the first time that I was able to, to ask that question to somebody who did it. So thanks for, for answering. Oh, of course. One bit of context for those who may not be familiar is generally you serve your mission as a young man or young woman for two years, and it's about 18 months for young women, but you generally serve in your late teens or early twenties. So you leave when you're 18 or 19 and you're back by the time you're 20, 21, 22. Um, I think the latest you can go is like 23 or 24. So it generally happens before you enter the workforce, before you ch have chosen a career. Like I had one year of college before and three years after or four. I forget how many years I was at college. But like um, it informs the work that you do and the career you're going to have in your family life as opposed to like being an interruption. Um, some people definitely it's more of an interruption because maybe they're 
an all-star baseball pitcher or a basketball player or, or a musician or something like that. And they have a career that's taken off when they're 17, 18 years old, but that's a small percentage of people. So I think it's cool that it happens early on enough to where, you know, back in the day, people were being called when they were already married and they were in their thirties and they're like, you're going to go overseas in Great Britain and you're going to be the first missionary to preach the gospel in Ireland or whatever. And it's like, that would be hard. I don't know that I would be able to say yes to that right now, drop everything, leave my family and my wife and kids at home and go do a mission. But I'm glad that it happens at that exact phase in life. That's fascinating. We, and I'm also just kind of smiling here because we just recently published an episode with an Orthodox Jewish woman and just loving the, loving the breadth here on the podcast. We're just covering so much grounds in a different, I don't know if ideology is the right, I mean, just religion is the most categorically appropriate term, but we're just covering a lot. And I think it's just, I think the point I'd like to communicate is just so interesting to just the, you know, Orthodox Jews. And I think in Mormons, it's just a more people who are like bought in, right. They're like bought into what they're doing. And it's just better outcomes than the people who kind of like half have a religion and are half bought in. Like, I feel like it's like kind of not a, not a false dichotomy or a true dichotomy, but I've just always kind of, ever since I've like encountered these religions that are all like, it's, it's adhering is like the religion, like, whereas like what I was brought up with reform Judaism is like a branch of just like, pick what like makes sense to you. And yeah. You know, I don't, I didn't have the best like sense of how the world worked at 11 years old. And I was like, I don't really know how to pick the, which, which of these rules are silly and which of them are actually have like a deeper benefit. And I, you know, I'm just I was smart enough to know that like, I wasn't smart enough to choose my own adventure too effectively. And so it's always interesting to see just the patterns. Yeah. It's so cool. I'm sitting here kind of reflecting a little bit because this is the, like I said, the first time this has been brought up on a podcast interview and I was thinking to myself, like, would people, I don't think people would know that I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints based on my content. It's not in my welcome series. It's not on my Twitter profile. It's not like anywhere public, maybe on Instagram. I think I have that in my bio, but like, that's probably your LinkedIn. I need to think it's, about. Uh, oh, it's on LinkedIn. It's, all over, it's on your LinkedIn, BYU. I mean. Oh, yeah, good, good. You know, you have to have a few pieces of information to kind of deduce it, yeah. But, but yeah. But it's, you know, you bring up other religions and other faiths and like, I, I've, my guess is that a faith in a higher power or a God or a, is one of the most universal things that we could talk about with people. And yet we focus so much on like the very small niche thing that we talk about with, you know, my craftsman creative stuff or my filmmaking stuff or whatever, but all of that faith from my spiritual side of my life informs everything I do. It informs the reason why I want to have two movies a year and not five. So I can have more time to serve in my church and to be a good husband and father. So I, I just keep ex, ex, uh, extending this conversation because I'm so happy it was brought up, but I, wanna... I feel like there's a, an opportunity there for us to talk more about our faith in the context of creative entrepreneurship or projects or whatever it might be. Yeah. I want to tie some things together here. Uh, craftsman creative, the name craftsman comes from Cal Newport mm -hmm. and his work. And I think that he's someone who actually, he's obviously secular in what he discusses, but I think like his whole book is his, his book, 
books in general. Like his whole philosophy is like a very, he borrows a lot of ideas from religion without telling people. And I think that's why a lot of it's very effective. I don't know if you've like had the same thought or, or anything else, but yeah. it's like riff on Cal Newport and what his kind of, where the craftsman, because I, I think like a lot of the, he's very focused on rituals. He's again, very focused on mindset, very focused on belief patterns and very focused on the importance of just basically he, he just takes again, the common themes of the common religious advice that works for people and just does it without any branding. And that's why I think why he's reached so many people. Yeah. If you're, if you're trying to tell my origin story, the, uh, the spider bite is me writing or reading, uh, so good. They can't ignore you by Cal Newport. Cause it, came, I think I read it around 2014 or 15, pretty soon after it came out. I don't have the exact dates. Um, I should get those, but that, that was, was one of the very first. Yeah. It was one of the very first like business books that I read that resonated in such a way where it changed the way that I think about creative work. Um, because I was very much on the opposite side of what he promotes, which is like the passion led or passion first thing. Like if you want to get better at your art, do more art. If you want to figure out what your passion is, like try a lot of things and blah, blah, blah. As soon as he talked about this outcome-based approach, the craftsman approach or craftsman mindset, I highlighted that, circled it, underlined it, cut it out, put it on my wall. Like it was, it was like a beam of light came down and was like, oh, this is it. You know, like it was a, a pivotal, pivotal moment in my career. And so when I was thinking about the, the name for my business, I immediately gravitated to Craftsman because it embodied the mindset and so many other things. And there was a little bit of context there for those that had read Cal Newport's book, right? Um, but tying back to what we were just talking about, like Christ was a carpenter. Like there's some imagery there or some subtext there that I think is cool as well. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was such a huge thing to realize that there was a different approach that I could take a different path. And it made sense for my brain. It's like, oh, I want that outcome. I'm going to work backwards from it. I could do that. And then I did year after year after year since then. So it's been very, very like if I ever meet Cal Newport, he's going to get a big hug and I'm going to take him out to lunch and I'm going to just ask him all the questions. <laughs> That's one of the interesting internet dynamics. And, and that's interesting as he lives in DC at present yeah. at Georgetown. Yeah. So. He's at Georgetown, right? Mm -hmm. Let's do some bonus questions. Uh, Kyle, do you have a first bonus question or should I bonus us first? All right, I'm going to, I'm going to bonus us first here. Uh, I didn't have my first bonus question just immediately prepared. So I was like, Kyle, here we go here. I've got a bunch, but do you have a fun band story? That's like your go-to, like, this is just a crazy evening from being a, a band, like interacting with bands as a sound person. That's like a, a, not a world I'm deep in, not deep in the music world. I'm at like a one out of 10 in knowledge and understanding of that universe. Yeah. Fun band story. So I toured with two bands that are from here in Provo, Utah. They got their start at the local music venue, which is Valor Live Music Gallery. I ran sound there for like 10 years, just like on the side, because I loved it. And the two bands were Neon Trees and Imagine Dragons. And so these are friends of mine. They're amazing individuals. I love their ethos when it comes to their work ethic and the way that they treat their fans and all that stuff. So one thing that I'll be forever grateful for is I was on a tour bus uh, with Neon Trees. We did about three or four months together. 
And again, I was doing too many jobs. I was their front of house engineer, their monitor engineer, their road tour manager, like it was too much stuff. <laughs> so, um, but we got, we, we would get to the end of the night and they would want to like drink a Red Bull and stay up and par not party, but like hang out and ride the high of being on stage in front of 10,000 people. And I would like zonk out. I would just go to sleep. And we had, you know, these bunks in the back of a tour bus and they're like three high. And so, I mean, I could almost, if I turned sideways, I could almost like hit the ceiling of my little bed. And I remember one night I got woken up in the middle of the night um, because we hit a speed bump and I actually did like hit the thing. I started rolling and I was on the top bunk. So I caught myself somehow to like prevent myself falling six feet to the floor, uh, you know, going 80 miles an hour on the freeway. And the reason I bring that one up is because it's uh, let me, it's, it taught me how to fall asleep fast and sleep deeply. <laughs> so I attribute a lot of my success to the fact that like I get seven or eight hours of sleep a night. I can get up early. I can go to bed quickly and I don't have the, the insomnia that a lot of creators do. I don't have, um, if I have ideas in the middle of the night, I write them down and I go back to sleep really quickly. Um, but yeah, I just, I also remember Imagine Dragons early, early on. Um, we were working on a TV show and uh, it's called Audio Files. I don't know if it is out there online anymore, but it was through BYU TV. I was the sound guy. And it was the day that they got their record deal. So we were trying to film an episode of television with the band. And Dan keeps stepping away every 30, 40 minutes to take another call from Interscope or from this other label, from his manager, from his brother, from like all of his people. And it was like the weirdest day because we somehow still got all the stuff we needed. But to be there on the day, having no Dan and Wayne and the whole band since their inception, when they started at their band at Valor, I was there the night. Like I ran sound for them almost every show at Valor to then being there for that record deal. And then a year or two later, they called me and asked me to do sound at a big event in Utah that I ran sound for. So it's just like this cool series of events. This is a longer answer than you were probably looking for, but. I just I love, love people that work hard and cool. love their fans. <laughs> no, that's a cool takeaway. Um, if you can survive that, right? If you can get, get a consistent sleep on a tour bus with a band on the come up, then you're locked in for. Yeah. Um, what is the most impactful breakfast meeting that you've ever had and why? Okay. This happened two weeks ago. <laughs> wow. I don't know if you know who Carl Richards is. But he is runs he the a, guy. Is he like the circle guy? Yeah, he's like the New York guy. Times. He's like the Jack Butcher of Web Zero. Exactly. So he's Boomer got Butcher. a huge audience. You know, I don't know why I'm ripping on this guy for no reason, but he's he's got he's got a great <laughs> newsletter. I'm just like he's like it's Jack Butcher, newsletter. but he's it's a previous generation. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely like he's probably ten years my senior, right? So that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. He's an amazing guy. I followed There's him for probably a decade. That. Now. I agree. <laughs> that's, that's a joke I've for been following from a long time. I've been on his email list, and I remember probably a year or two ago, I he said something about like Park City where he lives, and I was like, Park City, I live in Provo. You're an hour from me, and I didn't know this this whole time. So I responded to one of his emails. I was like, Hey, Carl, you're in Park City. I'm in Provo. I'm in Park City. Like anytime you want, if I can treat you to lunch, like I love your stuff. You've been impactful. I love your books. Never got a response. Right. Two weeks ago. I get a DM on Twitter from Carl Richards that says, I should pull it up. 
you can edit out the little gap in this uh the thinking thing because it's, it's so instantaneous good. dm puller is what it's gonna it's say it's so good um okay so carl goes darren this is 7 30 a.m darren what are you doing today at any time from 10 to 12 want to come talk to my class at uvu about creating side incomes what First of all, I didn't know he was following me, although my DMs are open, but it turned out he was following me. Second, how did he know I lived in Utah? Because UVU is five minutes up the road from my house. So I was like, oh, that'll work. Is that Utah Valley? That that Utah Valley University. It's uh, like another Utah Valley school. BYU is more in from the freeway. Utah Valley is right on the freeway. But between the hours of so I said, oh, man, I do. I have a podcast interview from 10 to 11, but I live in West Provo, like five minutes from UVU, so I could be there around 11. That works. Come ready to share what you've done and seen by people creating knowledge products. It's like, okay. And then he sends me his phone number and says, text me because I'm better on text than DM. So from 7.30, as I'm like getting my kids ready for school till about 9.30, a half hour before that podcast interview, I put together an entire presentation, like a keynote and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then at 11 <laughs> o'clock, I scooted over to UVU and did like a 30-minute presentation to this class of 15, 20 students. That wasn't the most impactful part. What the most impactful part was what came after. So he's like, hey, are you busy? Do you want to grab lunch? And I didn't even check my calendar. I didn't care what was on there. I said, absolutely, let's grab lunch. We talked for like an hour. And he's got all these projects that he's thinking about and he hasn't figured out who he can work with and blah, blah, blah. And he even brings up, he's like, yeah, I wish I knew somebody that like could do like video and events and like audio and like mix it all together. And I said, man, if only that person was sitting across from you and you had just much. Because <laughs> like I was the exact person that he was looking for, for all of these projects that he had wanted to do and didn't know how to get started. So since then we've had like three or four conversations and I just yesterday, two days ago, probably two days ago, sent him a like basically the 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 copy for a sales page as a pitch for a product that could go out to people that he knows and generate hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in revenue for those individuals. And that's a partnership with Carl Richards that could happen if any of these people say yes. I'm trying to be strategically nebulous or vague about what it is. But this dude's connected and he's got know, a big playing distribution. A yeah. And he's playing at a different level than I am. He's talking tens and $15 million a year. And I'm talking about a hundred to 150 K a year. Right. So it's just orders of magnitude bigger that already feels massively impactful. But, you know, talk to me a year from now and I can tell you, here's what came out of that. Me saying yes to that uh, request at 7:30 AM two weeks ago. Pretty cool. <laughs> Kyle, that's we're we're two for two with that question, or one for one. We uh, interviewed a woman a few, few days ago, and she's like, "I don't even know how this came up. I don't know if I asked like the most impactful meeting you had, but she was just talking about some crazy breakfast she had with like this guy, and it was a whole thing. Uh, really did not tell the story that well there, but yeah, you'll, you'll have to listen to that episode. Uh, Kelly Powell, so for the people listening, that's your teaser if you want to go listen to that episode. She has a good breakfast story, but since then she's like, you should probably ask that question to everyone. Because it leads to interesting things. Like, what's well, just a I weird, agree. yeah. Well, because we were telling her about how Kyle and I met. And then, and she's like, oh, dinner's or like lunch is so weird. I prefer breakfast. And this one time I got this breakfast. And, and so, 
So good. Darren, you've checked the box for a great answer to You've made us want to ask that question again. I think we nice. would have been, our hopes and dreams would have been kind of shattered if that question had lands. So thank you for not shattering our hopes and our dreams today. I'm thinking if I have another quick question, uh, we're at around where we want to be on time. Uh, Darren, I, I think this is a sweet moment to, to drop off on, kind of quit while we're ahead, ride the wave. You have a lot of products. You have uh, fewer, you've simplified the way to keep in touch with you. I know email is always the ultimate win, uh, but you're on Twitter, you have websites. What would you like to say to the people who want more from Darren? Yeah, well, what I would say is depending on when this comes out, I've got a really exciting event coming out in January, which is kind of like a 10K creator challenge. I don't have a name for it yet. That might be the name for it. So you're catching me a little early in the process, but the best thing to do is to go over to craftsmancreative.co and sign up for my email list. Cause then you have my email and you can reply anytime. And I reply to every email. And so whatever you're working on right now, I would love to know like what you're struggling with, how I can help you. And what I do with that welcome email is every single person that replies, I give them some recommendation, some reference, some link, something that says, this will help you right now as you are now coming into Crafts and Creative World and exploring and seeing and doing deep dives and going down rabbit holes. I love giving people like, here's the next first step for you. Like start right here. Um, so do that. Sign up for my email list. Just go to craftsmancreative.co. It's free. And then I send out a weekly newsletter that'll give you more info on like what I'm working on now and the behind the scenes of how to build a creative business to six figures. That's really what the newsletter's about. And uh, we can take it from there. So that's that's what people should do. Awesome. And I will plug for you the podcast mini series with Joe Paluzzi. Uh, I, for whatever reason, the way that comment, content is structured worked really well for me. I was just able to binge right through it. It's really well sectioned. It's like how to get from zero to 500, how to get from 500 to 1,000, how to get from 1,000 to 1,500, and so on and so forth. Uh, so if you are someone who just was listening to this conversation because you thought it was interesting, uh, that's one thing. But if you are an aspiring creative entrepreneur, that series is literally designed just for that. So I encourage people to check it out. But Darren, thank you so Thanks, much man. for your time today. Appreciate you reaching out. I'm glad we were connected. Me too. I would love to do it again sometime. So thanks for the amazing questions. And I'm going to go and journal a little bit because I've got new ideas that came from this conversation. So thank you. And yeah, this was awesome. Appreciate you guys giving me the invite. And that wraps up our conversation with Darren Smith. Another fun one. My three takeaways are number one, something that Lewis said, uh, that was brought on by Darren is just put more buy boxes on the internet. The product productization, which is something that Lewis and I are horrible at is just important to be able to make money. Like, um, if you do it enough and put enough buy boxes, you will do well. Uh, got to get in front of people and make offers at the end of the day. Mm hmm. Number Kirkus Kirkus. I say both. <laughs> I still don't know which one's right. To be honest, talk to the dude every day. Number two is that we need more rites of passage in modern society. Um, clearly for the LDS church, um, your mission is a big rite of passage. And I think that in societies where you have that, that very clear delineation, you know, Israel is two years in the military. So is South Korea, um, you see long-term positive impacts, uh, I'm not saying I want to go be in the military, but I think maybe if I was forced to, my life would look a little different.
Number three, uh, one thing that Darren was talking about was all the courses and all the communities that he joined that he was very active in and deliberate about. And, you know, he he's like, and then I became friends with them. And it, it's just, it, it's not hard when you are really actively being intentionally or being intentional and participating in these communities to for them to work. And like, I've joined a lot of um, online communities and courses where, you know, I just let it sit in my inbox and never really engage and never look at it. And like, clearly the value is in going all the way with it. And I think there's something for me to be learned about just when I decide to do something like that, I need to really take it seriously and be intentional about it. And those are my three quick yeah. takeaways. We did an episode recently with Jordan Ross and he's really him and a bunch of other people have really encouraged me based on what I'm doing in my business to join the Wiz of Ecom community. It's like 25 bucks a month, 150 a year. And I'd like to, when I have the attention to like the attention to give it the attention it deserves, but it's, that's a really good observation, Kyle. All right, Kyle, three takeaways from me. First, same one you said, you got to put more buy buttons on the internet. We, like you said, have not done the best job of productizing this podcast. We've produced tons of episodes, tons of episodes, so many episodes, so many great episodes in my humble opinion, but we really haven't put like offers, right? It's not like support the show by buying our course or support the show by hiring me as a consultant to help you start a podcast or kind of like all these traditional products that people in our position might create. We haven't really done that. And that's led to the show not being super monetized. We do have a sponsor now, which is awesome, uh, but there's also ways we could sell directly to the listeners, which a lot of podcasters do by selling whatever it is that they do, rather than just recommending an additional product or service, uh, either to be paid to do that or on kind of a revenue to profit share basis. Either way, the more buy buttons you put on the internet, uh, the greater surface area you have for luck, and the higher the probability that someone will end up giving you money for something. And Darren is not messing around when it comes to putting those buttons on the internet. That being said, takeaway number two is that we like making podcasts, Darren likes making products, but if you want your stuff to grow, you got to promote it like crazy, like 80% on promotion, not 80% on production. And I did an episode, again, I've kind of lost track of what's going to get published in what order, but there's one that either was recently published, is going to be published soon with Farzad Rashidi. He has a company called Respana, and it's like helps people promote the hell out of their content, build back into their blogs, get on other podcasts to discuss their books, things like that. And he ranks number one on Google for like a million things and gets so much organic impressions now because he spent so much time promoting his content then now it actually promotes itself. Uh, anyway, points being, it's cool to make podcasts, it's cool to write eBooks, it's cool to film courses, but if you wanna make money, and again, be a creative entrepreneur, a content entrepreneur, someone who's doing this strategically to make money, rather than someone who's just following their passion and putting stuff out there for the sake of putting it out there, promotion is what matters a lot. Everything matters, but that matters a lot, a lot, to be specific. Third takeaway, and then we'll be out of here. Very, very deliberate and reflective. That is how I would describe it. Darren. Darren has A plus in self-awareness. He's in multiple stories talking about pausing and reflecting and being like, is this what I want? Is this true? Are these where am I having hidden assumptions that are preventing me from getting the outcomes that I want? Is this the best use of my time? Based on what I'm good at, should I be doing this? And I think we can all learn something from how self-aware Darren is. And literally it's as simple as pausing and asking yourself questions. Uh, some people would call that journaling. You've probably heard of that before. It's really useful for building self-awareness. I'm also told very often that this is one of my superpowers. Uh, maybe that sounds cringy, maybe not. Who cares? If you listen to this podcast, you probably 
don't think that sounds cringy if you've made it all the way to the far end of this episode. That's it. Be self-aware. That helps people lead to better outcomes. Better decisions come from more information, right? Data-driven decisions where you are the data, you are the information. Self-awareness just means you have lots of data about yourself and you're making good data-informed decisions. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please say hey to Darren. Let him know that you listened to this episode. Let him know that you like the Lewis and Kyle show. Let him know that his idea is really interesting. He's easy to find on Twitter, easy to find on LinkedIn. Check out his book if you want more long form content. And make sure if you like the Lewis and Kyle show, you subscribe. That way you are the first to know about new episodes besides me and the editor and the people who make them. You're the first listener. You're going to know really soon, like so quickly, like right away when episodes are published. Anyway, I'm starting to ramble and you probably want to listen to something else. Maybe it's another episode of my show. Maybe it's something else. Anyway, I'm done. Thank you so much for listening. Grateful as always for your time. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.